Hey, what's up, Military Millionaires? Today we have a, a little bit different episode with Brian Marska, who is the owner of Natural Elevations Natural Office, and he essentially builds really, really high-quality standing desks, and not like the thing that goes on top of a desk that you can stand up, but like desks that go up and down at the push of a button, and they're really cool. I'm looking at buying one myself, and we got connected on Vetrepreneur Tribe and started talking about maybe doing a podcast, so this is actually a really cool episode because we talk about everything from... Uh, getting into sales, to getting into the furniture business, to building a business, to developing a product. But then at the end, we also talk about things like confirmation bias and uh, why watching the news or, or sports might be hurting you a little bit in your career. So we talk about some really interesting mindset things too that will help you out. And it's just really cool to see someone who's in a completely different industry than real estate. And we agree on so many entrepreneurial and business related topics. So definitely stay tuned and check out this entire episode. You'll get a lot of value out of it. As always, show notes are found at FromMilitaryToMillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey, listen up, guys and girls, active duty and veterans. I have an important announcement to make. May 29th and 30th in St. Louis is going to be the first ever Veterans Live conference. Now, what this is, is it is a military real estate investor conference hosted by military real estate investors, spoken at by military real estate investors, and attended by military real estate investors. Obviously, if you are not military, you are welcome to attend. However, it will be geared towards veterans and service members helping veterans and service members. Myself, the Military Millionaire Community, Stuart Grazier, the Military Investor Network, and Bill Allen of Seven Figure Flipping, are all going to be putting this on together, and this is going to be an awesome event. So it's going to be at the Hyatt Regency St. Louis at the Arch, May 29th and 30th. Check out below for a link to register, and I look forward to seeing you there. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave from the Military Millionaire Community, and I am here with Brian Marska, who was a Marine infantry veteran with uh, 2-5 out here in Camp Pendleton, and now he is a business owner with, uh, he owns two different uh, entities soon, Natural Office and Natural Elevations, which I've actually been looking at one of his products for a little while. We got connected on Facebook, and I thought this would be a lot of fun to, to bring you guys. So, uh, Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about yourself? Oh, so I, um, as you said, I was in uh, the Fox Company 2-5. I was a scout swimmer in, in the infantry. And um, uh, going through that process, I'd always thought that I'd end up being an attorney. And then at, through a little bit of education and talking to some people, uh, I found out that there's there was attorneys out there at the time making 25 grand a year, and I just never knew in my head that that would ever be possible to have a juris doctorate and make like 25 grand a year. So uh, I just thought it was an automatic rich button. Mm. So uh, kind of went another way. So uh, got out, became a bartender because uh, I thought I was going to go back to school and I could make quick money, work nights, that kind of thing, and uh, kind of decompress from the Marine Corps and uh, kind of found myself rudderless uh, and not sure what I really wanted to do. 
And this whole time, my, my family had always owned small businesses. And when I say small businesses, they, they were very small businesses. My father was a drain cleaner and it was just him. Uh, and then eventually when my brother graduated from school, it was him and my brother. And uh, he just kind of had this, he, he didn't trust anyone to hire employees. So he never wanted to expand uh, those, the, you, you know, he was of that mindset that he was kind of making his own living. Yeah. So with that, uh, you know, in high school, I worked for him. When I was like 12 years old, I would work for him. And it was the kind of work where it was like, hey, your hands are small. Uh, dig in that drain and see what you can pull out. And if you can imagine everything that goes into a drain, uh, I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. So it, it was kind of everything I kind of did was running from that. And a guy came into the bar and he told me I'd be good at sales. And he got me to, to selling carpet and eventually worked at a radio station, did a couple of other things and then found myself in the office furniture business. So I, I wouldn't have known about the industry. You think about office furniture, somebody buys something and then they're done. Uh, how much office furniture can people need? And, but there's all these entities out there. You have every major hospital, every, you know, they're constantly buying furniture. They buy, you know, like UPMC around here buys about seven to $8 million a year just in furniture. Wow. So yeah, so it's a big industry. So I, I went from kind of worked at a dealership, a small dealership in Erie, Pennsylvania, and then eventually wanted to get in a bigger market. So I moved to Pittsburgh and I worked at a bigger dealership and always had my idea of how things should be done, uh, as I think we all do. And, you know, of course, you think you can invent a better wheel. And at some point, uh, you know, working in a dealership and I worked as a consultant for different manufacturers, I kind of felt like it was time to put that to the test and call myself on my own bull and go, can I actually do this? And I, and I felt confident in, in my abilities. So fast forward to 2010 and uh, started a company called Natural Office. So once, once I started natural office, it, it, it was working as, as a standard dealer. So an office furniture dealer, um, if you're familiar with like Herman Miller and Steelcase and yeah. Hayworth Knoll, they, those guys are the big five. Uh, so okay. it's basically like being a Chevy dealer or, uh, you know, Kia, whatever brand you can think of. And when you're new starting out, there's not, uh, there's not a lot there's not a lot of interest on those guys' part, unless you can come in with a big account, uh, you know, something that's multi-million, and you kind of have to come to the table with that, which nobody's going to give you if you don't have the product and and that kind of thing. So you're you're kind of you're in this catch twenty two, right? Yeah, trying so, to play chicken or egg. Exactly. Yeah. So it's um, play around in that mix for a little bit, ended up getting a contract with the VA because I am a service disabled vet. So I got certified, uh, talked to someone I used to work with who was an interior designer at the VA. I called them day one, probably I called her and said, I think I just started my own business and I'm not sure where to go. Is there anything you need? Uh, she said, give me two weeks and, and, and let's have a conversation. So uh, we had this meeting in two weeks and she first contract 
800 bucks. They had some Hayworth workstations and they said, can you break these down, move them down the hall and put them in another room? And it was, of course. So there's, there's a, some subcontractor companies. I got one of them and then it was me uh, just in different clothes. <laughs> and I, I had been in the industry for like 12 years, but I didn't really know how to take this stuff apart and put it back together. I had an idea. I had seen it done a bunch of times. I'd never actually done it. So uh, I was kind of using this installer to figure out how do I do this and kind of pretending that, that I knew what I was doing. So we moved it down. It went successful. It was fine. It's not really that hard. Uh, and then little by little, really learned that end of the business uh, and then saw this gap in the industry, which was kind of like this facility solutions uh, business. So my business is, I get lumped in with office furniture dealers and we do sell plenty of office furniture, but it was really the service. Uh, and then as Amazon and those guys grew and companies, especially in the tech world, were buying all of their office furniture on Amazon, they didn't need somebody to install it. So the, what happened was you call a big furniture dealer and you would ask, they would ask them if they would install it for them. And they'd say, well, you didn't buy it from us. So good luck, buddy. You know, we're not, we're not going to help you out. To me, it was foolish because it would be a $50,000 installation. Uh, to me, it was passing up a sale. So I said, I, I have no real ethics. I need more money than I, I need anything else. So of course we'll install it. And then you'd sell them supplemental products. They would say, hey, we need garbage cans. Can I sell those to you? How about this? And you give them a price, that kind of thing. Uh, so we basically, the best way to describe it is we took that industry and instead of approaching broad base and a lot of customers, because as small as I was, I couldn't get in front of as many customers as my competitors could. Uh, we really launched vertically within, within that business. Which I've heard nothing but good things about going vertical. I think that's a, a brilliant strategy as far as, you know, building out a uh, process, but man, that's a crazy story. Uh, I really like, so there's a friend of mine coined, he's, he calls it the BMW phase, the below minimum wage phase of, of business. And he says, well, the reason a lot of people fail is they're not willing to, you know, do work for less than what they were making or do work that they didn't want to do before. So I think it's kind of cool that you tell your story. And one of the, the first deal you do is, oh, well, I've actually never touched the furniture, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll change clothes and tear that apart for 800 bucks, you know, and, and part of that going to subcontractors or whatever. Um, so I think that's, I think that's kind of cool. That kind of tells a little bit about your character and all of this is that, yeah, it wasn't, a lot of people think like, oh, you know, building the business on the side is, yeah, you just, it just one day it just blows up and you're, you're rich and you go solo. It's like, nah, it's not necessarily. Is that, is that kind of how you approach it? I mean, I know you have real estate and things like that. And you're still in the Marine Corps. So, I mean, are you real hands on, hands on that way with your property or? So I'm trying to do as much of it virtually as possible. So I hired a virtual or a property manager. I have a really good agent. So I built a good team back in my, uh, where I invest. And so my goal in theory is that I should be able to find a property, send it to my agent, my property manager, and they can do the walkthrough with the inspector. They can send me pictures, videos. And, and I mean, realistically, I can purchase a property site unseen for, for me personally. Um, I bought one or two that I've 
I've been in now, but at the time of closing, I was stationed in Hawaii. Uh, I negotiated my biggest deal actually in a training evolution in Hawaii. Um, so it's, I, I've tried to do as, as to spend as little time as possible on it while just building a really good team, just because I don't necessarily have the time. But as far as the like below minimum wage side, um, I mean, the, the podcast, the YouTube channel and all of that, I've operated in the red for the last year and a half. I've only just recently like finally, okay, we're, we're not spending money to operate this anymore. Um, so it's, uh, I kind of have that mentality there, uh, but it, it, all of it seems to kind of be structured as how can I get the most done in the least amount of time, whether, whether that means I'm spending a couple bucks to hire someone to do it or not, but. Well, that makes sense. Well, and you know, it's, we, we met in the Vetrepreneur uh, Facebook page and a, a, a constant that I see on there is exactly what you just said, the below minimum wage thing where uh, somebody was talking about dog training or something like that. And they said, how much should I charge? And, and people were saying, oh, this isn't worth your time. If they're not going to pay you X, it's like, there's this vague advice because if you're in Southern California, that charge is different than if you live in Arkansas. It's it's just going to be different, uh, and nobody knows who you are. Yeah. Nobody knows that you're good at this. If it, 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 so it was, you know, it's do it for damn near free. If exactly. You, it, it, it at least get something out of it. I mean, there's jobs that I've done where it's, it's okay, but you're gonna give me a testimonial, and it, 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 uh, well, you know. Assuming I'm doing a good job, yeah. it better be a really good testimonial because I'm doing this for next to nothing. And that's okay. Uh, it's, it's you're building that reputation and it's supply and demand. And I always viewed it as how much time do I have and how much money I have. And that dictates the price. It just does. If I'm overwhelmingly busy and there's a job that I'm not that interested in uh, and we're giving a quote, I, I, it's going to be a little bit higher because it's got to be worth it. and if I have nothing going on, I, I'm going to be really aggressive because I have to be, I have to stay in business and I got to keep things moving. You know? Yeah. That dynamic pricing. It's just, I mean, it's the same concept with Airbnb or car rentals or everything else, right? As you get two or three days out, the price is way higher than if you'd booked it three months in advance when they had nothing on the schedule. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's it's uh it's crazy and it's it's not about what you're worth. It's not about what you deserve. I mean, everybody deserves to make millions. There's a you know, whatever. There's a nurse out there that's saving lives that doesn't make enough money to feed her kids and she deserves millions of dollars, but the market doesn't bear it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the market's uh the market's a re reality check, which is I think a lot of people woke up to that the last like two days where they're like, Hey, wait a minute, what happened to the Dow? Which right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever. Hey, it is what it is. I think it's, that's kind of been, I don't know about long overdue, but I mean, you see where we're at over GDP on the Dow and it's kind of crazy. So yeah, whatever. Um, anyway, before we ramble down the wall street road, uh, so what? So now you're. Could you tell us a little bit about your product? Actually, maybe the development phase, and then actually what your uh, the the specifically the product that I'm looking at buying. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. I that's which is my like baby project. It's the thing I'm obsessed about. Uh, you know, I do all my work for the day, and then I go home and work on the website and and that kind of thing. So uh, as we go through this, guys like me are going to be out of business 
uh, a standard furniture dealers, right? So most of my competitors, in my belief, it used to be this thing where you bought systems furniture. Uh, so you needed a guy like me to come in and tell you, how is this going to go together? Where's the space plan? How many stations can I fit? Uh, because there were all these like kind of booby traps if you tried to do it yourself. And like I'd mentioned, if you don't buy someone's product, they don't want to install it. And then the, that affects the warranty on who installs it, all those things. Well, people aren't in cubicles anymore. Mm. So we would see it, uh, the tech or the, the trend always follows tech. Uh, whatever tech companies are doing, that's what your company is going to be doing in 10 years. And I don't mean their products. I mean their office space. I mean, you know, 10 years ago when Google was providing people with breakfast, Everybody was like, they're crazy. Well, now insurance companies are providing people with breakfast. It's, it's just going to happen. So we're seeing that trend and not wanting to be uh, always wanting to evolve and change. Uh, standing desk were, uh, you know, a, a becoming a big part of the market. And about five years ago, I ended up in a co-work space and I had all these, these tech guys or you know, nerds, whatever you want to call them, uh, found out I was in office furniture and they would come to me and they'd ask me for a quote on a stand desk. So I was pumping out these quotes for 800, a thousand bucks for, for this desk. And I, and I would never hear from them. And I knew it was the price. Uh, you know, there, you got a guy that's working in a co workspace. He's trying to start a startup. He's on a shoestring budget using his own money. He doesn't have the money for that. That's a luxury. So, being in the furniture as long, as long as I have been in furniture, I thought this thing isn't that complicated. It goes up and down. How expensive? Why is this? My cost was seven or 800 bucks just for the base. So wow. I have to get at least 800 bucks if, if it's, if I'm paying 700 and that's not enough really to, to sustain your business. So, um, uh, that kind of let, always felt in the back of my head. And then I don't remember what clicked for me. Uh, I would see customers that were buying these online uh, because I, and they thought it's just a simple thing. I need 400 units. It's one line item. And uh, so I decided that I was going to come up with my own and that I could do a better job. Uh, I could provide a better product than what was out there. Uh, not necessarily a better product. I could provide that same product at a much better price. And I knew it had to be the case. So I started doing a ton of research. I looked at my competitors and the pricing and all that stuff. Who was the players in the market? I kind of found a, a, uh, a model that like specifically technically uh, the technical specs on a model that I felt was the best overall value. So that's uh 300 pound lift capacity, uh, 1.5 inches per second of lift speed, uh, dual motor, three stage, it gives you the, the, the widest range, right? So I set that as my goal. And then I started talking to manufacturers. I quickly found out that you're not going to get it built in the United States. Nobody's gonna, nobody can make the motors. Uh, being veterans, we get caught in this trap, right? Um, I get more crap from the veteran community or, like, or hear the conversation about working with companies overseas but the problem is, is when you're talking to American companies, as I did, they literally laughed at me and said, well, how many units do you need? I said, I don't know yet. Um, how much volume are you going to buy here? I don't know. 
I'm not an investor with millions of dollars. that's like, Hey, I'm going to start a production line and I need these parts from you. And we're going to commit to buying uh, 50,000 pieces <laughs> of, but I can't, I can't no. do that. Yeah. So I don't know if you have experiences like that. Uh, but it's, it's demoralizing. Uh, so people in these, like the OEM manufacturing, it's, so I had to go overseas and through some trial and error, I figured out Alibaba, which I'm sure a lot of people out there are very familiar with. Yeah. Uh, so I started there and searching through products and then I found a few closest to what I wanted and I started ordering samples. Uh, and you're going to pay a fortune because they're going to air freight it. And, and these, these bases are 65 pounds. So I think it's the ballpark is about $7 a kilo to have something air freighted. So you're paying more for the air freight than you are for the product, but it's worth it in the beginning because like I just did one, one product at a time. I would bring one in. It took me about a year and I found a company that um, had a product that I liked and I felt like the quality was there. Uh, the, actually, the decibel level uh, was it for me. It was quieter than everybody else's. And I just kind of never, like, who cares? It goes up and down, right? But it, it's a factor. If you have 40 people in one area um, and you're listening to all these these <laughs> deaths going up and down, it's, it's you know, it's kind of yeah. like, you know. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of how it started. I went back to them. We went back and forth and I said, okay, here's what I don't like about your product. And honestly, the customer service was amazing. They were very, um, uh, very easy to respond. You do have to work uh, basically the opposite. I'm on East Coast time and essentially when it's noon here, it's midnight there. And if if all your responses take 24 hours because you're, you're sending an email during the day, they're responding to it overnight. You get up in the morning, so you're getting one. So you're going to have to just stay up um, and have conversations with them because if not, it'll take forever. Yeah. What, uh, what country is this? So it's China. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Uh, China. Well, you said Alibaba. I should have known that. No, well, yeah, but that's not necessarily because there's a lot of, uh, you know, Pakistan, India, there's some American oh. companies on there too. So it's, uh, I mean, it's not the, the norm. And I think American manufacturers have to kind of get with the times and start putting their product on there. But that's going to be because there's people in India looking for products. And if you're a U.S. manufacturer, it isn't impossible for you to, there's some things we do very well, I feel here, uh, that could be some of these companies could be doing more exporting and they're just not, uh, up with it. But yeah. Yeah. So, so we did that. We, we kind of came with a final product. I had, I was lucky enough that I had a distribution channel in, in natural office. Uh, so natural elevations being the brand, uh, in desk and, and other entity, but I was selling natural elevations products through natural office. So, I knew I had to keep my, I had to keep the products local uh, because I'm expecting these motors are going to start smoking and who, who knows what's going to happen. And I was afraid to sell a lot of them. Uh, you know, I didn't want to sell a hundred of them because I thought if there's an issue, I know that I'm going to maintain my reputation by replacing the product or doing whatever I need to do. And I thought I could be stranded with bad tables, no way to replace them. And I could have to go to just, 
one of these manufacturers, one of my, uh, I should say, channels here to buy them and, and paying 700 bucks a unit to replace somebody's product. Uh, I was afraid of that. So, so I kept it to like 10 units at a time. Uh, and as a result, it's, they've been in the market. I have the oldest product I have has been in the market for three years. And the only calls I've had about them are user error. So, um, the worst one was like somebody called me and had a control box smoking. And I went and I rushed out there thinking, Oh no, I'm going to burn this place down and they're going to, I'm going to get sued. And, uh, I talked to the guy and he said, uh, the, the user, and he said, oh, he goes, yeah, that's, I stretched my feet and I've been kicking the power cord and it bent the prongs. And he goes, I kind of straightened them out and I just put it back in there and it started working again. And I'm like, dude, you can't do, you can't do that. You broke an electrical connection. So obviously it was shorting out and then it caused it. So we replaced that box and, and there was no other, no other issue. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how we developed the product. Uh, and then going back to uh, the, the kind of U.S. thing, our plan long term is uh, now that we have an online presence, which launched uh, a week ago. And right now, I think, as you saw, there's only the bases available on online. Uh, we do have work surfaces that will be up this week. But our main uh, most of our clients in the commercial realm want that base. Uh, they have their own work surfaces or they're matching something. The other thing I look at is with home users, we're trying to focus on, you can go online and buy an institutional looking desk anywhere for about the same price as mine. So there's about three companies that are really good at it. Uh, we are price comparable to those companies. Uh, commercial office furniture dealers, we're about 30 to 40% less than them. So in, in the world that I'm used to distributing, we're crushing it. Uh, yeah. we just, I just had a conversation with the Pennsylvania, uh, 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 an entity within Pennsylvania, uh, I mean, within the state, a state facility. And we talked about it. He said, no brainer. He said, done. I'll just start ordering them. If we have problems with them, then you're going to have to take them back and we won't use you anymore. But that's kind of how they do it. But it was, uh, we were saving them $300 a unit. Uh, and we're talking about wow. five, our units, 495. Uh, so if that gives you perspective. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a huge uh, price cut for them. So that's, I mean, especially when you scale, I mean, that adds up very quickly. Oh yeah. And we're, you know, we're talking about healthcare industry is, is having a huge problem with profits right now because they can't charge the patient any more money, but their costs are rising and they've hit this, uh, this point of no return on their pricing and they, they can't figure out profitability. So I, I think the average hospital profit is 2.3%. So if you, if you imagine, uh, I, I, well, let me go back. Primary care is 2.3%. Uh, the other, uh, you know, surgeries and catastrophic healthcare is around 6%. So that primary care is, is a is a loss leader for them. So when we go and talk to people like these major hospitals, and you're taking one line item, which will be the the biggest line item that you have to buy over the next years, that's not replacing another item. So you have ADA conversions, you have reasonable accommodations. People are coming in with back injuries. 
Uh, and then on top of it, they've gone from having to buy a $5,000 workstation that now they need a table because they're paperless and it's an open environment. It's all these things. So these companies have said, well, instead of paying 300 bucks for a table, we can spend 800 bucks for a standing. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they're willing to do that. Well, if we're saving them 300 bucks a unit and now they're buying hundreds of years, which even if you're just using them on reasonable accommodations alone, uh, reasonable, I should probably explain that. Reasonable accommodations is I have an injury. I go to my employer and I go, Hey, the, my working conditions technically are unreasonable. I can't sit for this long. I have a back injury. And, and so they'll decide that it's reasonable to modify their workstation to make it healthier for them to work. Um, so they kind of have to do it if that makes sense. Yeah, actually, uh, it's, it's not that your infantry world ever would have would have uh, entertained this. However, um, I had to go through, I became a like a safety rep for the Marine Corps like a year and a half ago. And that's one of the things they talked about. You can get a, uh, oh man, what do they call it? There's an official name for it. But basically the same thing, like a, a survey done for your work site. And they can basically tell you like, hey, you need to provide uh, better chairs, better desks, better uh, you know keyboards or whatever. I can't remember the official term right now. Um, ironically, I've heard this now for years and I seem to always come in on the back end of like, oh yeah, we did that, but now we created an extra workstation for you and you don't have any of that stuff. But, um, in my office, uh, there's, there's probably 20 people in my little section and there's three different sections in that little office. And one of the sections, they use Navy, Navy dollars for a lot of their funding. Every single one of them has a stand-up desk. But my section is just the Motor T guys. So they're like, dah, you're fine. And I'm like, okay. I don't want a stand-up <laughs> desk. Like sitting in this desk in my broken slump back chair for eight hours a day is not helping me out here. And uh, which is why when we were joking before we recorded that I'm looking at buying my own, even though the military is like, yeah, we could buy one for you. You just might have to wait. I'm like, I've been waiting for like seven months. Um, yeah. So I completely understand the reasonable accommodations. I think that's, uh, I mean, it makes perfect sense because the, well, maybe, maybe not in the fact that an employee should be able to say, Oh no, you're, you're doing this to me. But in the idea that like, yeah, sitting at a desk definitely takes a toll over time, just in the same way that carrying a hundred pound ruck around in a mountain doesn't help you feel any better about your back. It's, it's, yeah, it's, um, and actually you could argue that the guy carrying the ruck around is healthier. I mean, like they're, I mean, it's, it's, um, I don't envy what you have to do. I mean, to sit, I've, I've never had to sit at a desk all day. I've always been in sales. So I'm always out on the road. I'm always, um, I, I can't, I, I really can't do it. And, um, so all those things, you know, standing desk and, um, being able to move around is, is all it's all helpful you know yeah it's it's uh but yeah i can't imagine you're right i can't imagine going hey gunny uh uh i need a reasonable accommodation <laughs> and they go just shut up and get back to work but like, again that is it you're not in the navy get out of here like <laughs> you go back to your go back to your corner i mean and that's that's the reality but if you push it far enough they're supposed to do that they're supposed yeah. to make sure you have those which makes sense because I mean, we're supposed to, you know, they're trying to keep us from claiming hundred percent disability. So. Absolutely. Well, do you, do they have P card? Isn't there anybody like with a, with a P card there uh, that can just kind of on the slide that has a company, like a kind of a, a credit card oh, uh, that can just kind of go, Hey, uh, yeah, I, I kind of slid this in there. 
Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. Now, why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. I listen to Audible every single day on my commute to and from work. Now, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash militarymillionaire. So they've gotten a lot stricter about the ServMart purchases. I, I know back in... Uh, well, I'm sure it was probably even better. It's probably been getting stricter as we go. But like when I when I first joined, I joined in 08. And uh, when I first joined, you know, a Lance Corporal could sign off on what was needed in the office. Marines were getting, uh, you know, the the Benchmade knives for deployments and Oakleys and and nice boots and all kinds of crazy things that you're like, mm, we got issued one. Yeah, but we want this one and, and just writing stuff off, right? And, yeah. and it's like over time, it's gone from the Lance Corporal being able to approve stuff to the sergeant, to the staff and CEO, to now it's like a, a, an officer has to sign off on whatever you buy. And because of that, the, the and because of budget restrictions, there's much less, hey, we're just going to buy this and, you know, hey, just shh, uh, purchases with the uh, budget. So the we have been ordering these things now for... I don't know, three months, like the Veridesk or whatever, um, just to stick on top of a desk. Yeah. And, uh, it, <laughs> it's been like three or four months that they've been like, yeah, yeah, we, we got those on order. But what happens is as soon as something like paper comes up that's a necessity, then the yeah. desk is pushed. And, and so it's like a continual like, yeah, they're, they're on the list. Yep, they're on the, the bottom of the list, but they're on the list. And one day we'll get to do the rest of the list. And uh, you know, it, it, is it always gets kicked down. Yeah. And, and I'm in the same, like what you said, like I never, four years ago, you told me I was going to be sitting at a desk for hours a day. I would have told you that I wouldn't reenlist. Um, I'm, I'm a motor T guy. I've spent my first few years uh, hanging out with cat platoons and, uh, you know, rolling around in the desert and living the dream. And then I was a recruiter. So I was walking around all the time. And then now it's like I've gone from motor pool to, you know, king of my castle at the highest level you can go in motor T, but king of the castle means sitting in a windowless vault. So it's like, yeah, hey, this doesn't feel very uh, kingly here. Yeah. Um, so it's a, uh, it's a weird, weird. And I'm, I've been wrestling with it. In fact, I was talking with my wife earlier today. Like, I don't get it. Like I, I I'm eating right. I'm finally, I had knee surgery, but I'm finally back to PTing. And yet I feel worse than I felt in a long time. And I've realized that's, that's what it is. It's just being stagnant at work. It's, it's real. It's, um, you know, and then, and especially the, like, there's all these statistics too about like some of them almost unhealthy calm. It's, it's that. And it's, um, uh, working at night. So like, if you work sedentary and you work at night, you're in by far the worst category. And I'm talking in comparison to coal miners. I mean, <laughs> Really, it's like they're saying, hey, these, this is really unhealthy because when you're working at night, one, there's not good food available. You know, during the day, you can go to a healthier place for lunch now. You can do all this stuff, but they're basically sedentary. I mean, they do move around like nurses or 911 operators. It's the unhealthiest profession. I mean, not, I mean, bless them for doing it because it needs to be done. If you want to talk about somebody that deserves to make a million dollars a year and they don't. 911 operators, if you have ever been in one of those facilities, uh, very little sunlight, uh, 
no organic food. <laughs> yeah, no, no organic food. Like sometimes twelve hours a day because they can't just leave. If their replacement's not there, they can't. They they have to stay. And um, you know they're eating out of a vending machine essentially. Um, you know it's it's one of the most unhealthiest places I've ever seen. Or like call centers, especially like nine one one centers, because they just can't leave. You know, and it's a good job. I mean, it's a it's a well paying job. So I think a lot of people don't want to quit because they don't, they're trying to replace that pay, but it's, um, it's a real struggle now in, in the office and, and where it used to be, especially in a Marine Corps, it used to be kind of like, uh, ha ha, you know, and it's like, no, it's, it's, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't be able to sit and, uh, especially if you're in a bad chair or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm seriously considering buying, buying my own desk for the office and just be like, all right, I'm good guys. <laughs> so. Yeah. And as long as you can take it with you, you know, yes. um, it's a, it's a, um, it's a thing. And, and yeah, that's Veradesk. It's funny. Like you mentioned that it's, it's, that's a prime. That was one of the, that price point is who I pursued is um, the reason ours is 495 is I think they're, they're, Medium model is like four ninety nine or something like that, but uh, but it definitely provides a solution uh, in certain circumstances, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I, I like yours, like the idea of being able to just like push a button and the desk rises and the desk lowers, rather than like the those things you like reach it across the desk and try to reach underneath and like pull it up to stand right. up, and then you're like, okay, I think that's the right height. You're trying to. You know, that I've seen one, one or two people like slam it down and all their stuff goes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they flip, if you lean, you, you're not paying attention, you lean on it, it can tip. Uh, the other thing is where do you put your coffee? So you have this big contraption one, it's always on your desk. So even when you're sitting, it's on your desk, it's not out of the way. And then it's fine. I mean, it's, it, it serves a purpose. I think the theory is it's cheaper because people have seen, the standing desk is eight, nine hundred bucks, and then this thing is four or five hundred. And now you can get them for you can buy one on those on Amazon for a hundred bucks. Uh, I mean, obviously it's not as sophisticated, but it does it goes up and down. And if that's what you want, and I definitely think there's a market for that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, in going back into like product development and things like that, if finding those niches and finding those, that was the hardest part for me is I thought I wanted to, I wanted to do a product for a long time, but it's like, where's the hole? Like what, what am I? And then you kind of think of, um, am I that smart to be able to come up with the new wheel and, uh, that kind of thing, which, which I don't think we've done that, but, it's, I kind of got into a market some people are already in and then we're just marketing it differently. Uh, you know, the online companies have been selling the at-home user. I basically took that online model and take it to a commercial, uh, you know, commercial uh, marketplace, you know. Man, so it's just a cool story. Uh, I mean, everything that you've done, but it just, it flows together really well and it, it's, I mean, it's just, it's cool to me to be able to, you know, there's something cool about being able to say like, oh yeah, I'm kind of building this online presence and, uh, you know, but it's totally different when it's like, yeah, I built this product, this tangible thing that you can like go click and I, th I think that's really cool. Uh, and the fact that you didn't let it stop you that uh, American manufacturers were kind of telling you to F you and which, you know, I, I see that and I, I you mentioned that earlier and I wanted to touch on it. Um, 
the veteran community busting chops about not working with veterans. And I, I get it, right? And I, you know, there's definitely something about being American made and that's like something we walk around and say, yeah. But man, sometimes the veteran community is just way too focused on tearing each other down. But anyway, um, the reality is like, that's great. But if you can't afford to cut your teeth in a business because you went with an American manufacturer, who's like, is it really, is it more noble to die because you went with a more expensive manufacturer or is it more noble to provide a better service and a better product because you were willing to look outside the U S and I, I think, Hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, I think building a business that actually succeeds as a veteran is way more noble than saying, yeah, I bought from American manufacturers, but uh, I never got off the ground. Right. Well, and I think the very, very important part of this is that I'm kind of have neglectful, neglected is that when you think you're buying one, so if you're buying one of these desks, it's not being made here. Uh, they're being sold everywhere. So you can go to these manufacturers and I don't want to name them um, because I, I, you know, well, yeah. I guess evidence of exactly where it comes from. <laughs> but uh, I've been dealing with the office furniture industry for 22 years. And I've even been consultant for a consultant for these manufacturers for, for four or five years. And this is what they do. So you have a major office furniture manufacturer and they essentially assemble things, right? So they go to an OEM manufacturer, they get parts. So if it's a panel, they'll spot weld it together and then they cover it with the fabric, but that, you know, they're not bending steel and they're not doing it. And that's great. That's still manufacturing. Yep. With a product like this, this is how it works. They make the panels, they make the work surfaces, they make all these things. That's, that's great. It's good American jobs. Uh, with a product like this, they order it from China. And this is how they do it. So they go through a, uh, they'll, they'll go to an importer uh, who then either is their own broker or works with another broker who works with the company in China. So it's usually a guy that speaks the language. He's from there. He knows American business and Chinese business. He's a broker. He negotiates the deal. They sell it to this importer. They pay that importer to bring the product in. So there's three or four people taking that money before it's even hit a dealer. Then the dealer is expected to pay 700 bucks a unit because all those people had to get paid. Then they need to sell it to the consumer. So now you have a product that's a thousand bucks that you could buy for 500. So what we've done is uh, we just went direct to that manufacturer. So we're not doing anything that anyone else isn't doing. And I defy you. I've seen all these products. There's the same markers on them. There's the same identifiers. Uh, when I'm having a conversation with a manufacturer because we're negotiating product, well, I ask these questions and it's not a secret. They go, of course. Yeah. Like we're not making those like you crazy. We're not making, those. you know how much it would cost if we made it like, you know, I mean, this isn't a secret. Um, it's, it's not. And I think that a lot of people, when they have that argument, like, why aren't you making this in the U S the one you bought isn't made in the U S no, it was it, maybe it, assembled. <laughs> it maybe assembled. Well, so by that matter, we assemble it in the U S so, uh, I mean, true. Well, you know, I mean, it's, 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 um, it's kind of a fruitless argument. And, and I think a lot of the people that I've encountered that are very passionate about that argument, they just don't understand how it's done today. And it's, 
I hate to call anybody naive, but it, it's, it's just not how it works. It sounds like half the conversations I have with people about things going on in the political realm or the, the world or current events or anything. And I'm like, so which, uh, which media outlet did you listen to? Oh, right, right, would you, right. Would you consider them to point. be objective? Because I don't think they are. And Absolutely. You should probably do some homework. Or the yeah. people who uh, read the headline, that's my favorite. They read a headline and then they have all these great thoughts and you're like, did you read the article? No. Well, yeah. probably would have realized this, this, and this had you read the article. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then there's all these, these added things. It's like, well, if I'm hiring 40 people to assemble these and sell these, like that's 40 American jobs. Like, why isn't that? I, I Believe me, I want everything to be made here. I, yeah. I think it can be done. And eventually we're going to have some of the parts and start inserting some of the parts we use and be able to have it done. But I can't do it until we have volume. And, but to your point, like with the, the confirmation bias is my favorite. Uh, when in that, with the, with the articles where they go, no, there was a study done by, um, you know, uh, MIT or whoever, uh, Harvard did a study and it's, well, I can find you three studies that say what I think too. And you're, you're my new favorite person. I yeah, yeah. have royally pissed off somebody that I work with about a year ago. And I'm not going to name names or specific situations because, you know, but it was it was exactly that. He, he was just going off about science and studies. And I was like, look, man, you realize you can find a study to prove any theory you have if you look hard enough. Somebody did it for for yeah. for all that is holy. There are there's an ex just an exorbitant amount of not even information, but like fasting, right? We'll use fasting is one of my favorite things. Fasting is extremely healthy. You do a 24 hour fast, a 48 hour fast to cleanse your body. There's all kinds of research, but you'll never see it anywhere because guess who pays for studies? Not people that make money off you, not buying products. Food companies. Yeah. Yeah. So, Oh, fat's bad. Why? Well, because I saw this study. Oh, sugar's bad. Why? Because I saw this sugar-free company do a study. And so it's, it's funny to me because I'm like, you, you know, have you ever fasted? Like, yeah. Did you feel okay? Yeah. I felt amazing. Yeah. You don't see any studies on that. Oh, that's because nobody makes money off that study. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. It's, and, and yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, I got in the a discussion with, uh, the, the, the vegan thing is, is I, I think it's a, I think it is a healthy thing. I don't, I'm not against it, but it tends to be that people think it's the only, it's the only way. Mm. And, and that's where I don't believe in absolute. No, I think that different things work for different people. And, and of course there's some common sense things, right? If I'm on the McDonald's diet, um, you know, well, of course, but is that the meat that you're comparing? Is it McDonald's meat that you're comparing or is it like yeah. grass fed, you know, farm raised beef that, you know, that that you have access to. So it's, it's, I don't know, different things for different people. And especially us as business people, I don't have the luxury of caring. I mean, I care who's going to be president and all I can do is vote and, and do that thing. And then whoever's president, I'm going to go, you know, you're the commander in chief and I, I need to operate my business. I'm, I'm more worried about that. Uh, so I need to now develop strategies based on who's on office and it affects me in that way. But I, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack, but I don't really care. You know what I mean? I, I, I vote and I do that and I move on. I'm not upset that upset by it. I think if we get mired down in it, what are we going to, you know, I I need to operate my business. 
we recently installed uh, cable TVs, one or two in the, the office, just, I don't know, the, a, a nice gesture from the CEO because we have 24-hour watch, no cell phones, you know, so I, I guess that's part of it is like, there are definitely nights where I'm sure my night watch is sitting there with a book, like, oh my God, this is the most miserable thing I've ever done in my life because the internet's down half the time, you know how it goes. It's like, I yeah. got no internet, I got no phone, I have no windows, I have no, you know, like at some point it's just, you go crazy. So install TVs, great. But I keep getting flat because I turn it off during the day. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, for one, I don't like people. It's right behind me. So I'm like, I don't like people hovering around my desk watching the news. And for two, I don't like watching the news. It's just like what the, yeah. two, the two strongest emotions. And I explain it to everyone. I'm like, the two strongest emotions that the news panders to are anger and fear. Neither of those is going to do you any good in life. But that's what you're watching. And you watch the news. So like find a, not Fox, not CNN, not, you know, like no matter where you watch, like you got to you got to find an objective outlet. And the beautiful thing is, and I try to tell them all this, is like, if something really matters, you guys will tell me. I'll, I'll know. Like, if something really bad happens, I promise I won't be in the dark. But as far as who said what at the debate, I, I can read the highlight reel in five minutes instead of watching three hours of people just griping at each other. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, and the other side to that is I, I do the same exact thing, by the way. And I don't know if you were aware of this. That's a Tim Ferriss philosophy. Oh, the four hour work week. Love me some Tim Ferriss. He's it. That's what that's he probably does. probably where he I got it originally. What's that? That's probably where I got it originally. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, it, it's definitely where I got it and I don't, and my life is exponentially better. I'm not missing out on anything. I, I don't think I still, it still permeates my life. Uh, and like Tim Ferriss had said, if he hasn't heard anything in a while, he'll ask a, a, a waiter, like if he's in a restaurant, he'll go, Hey, what's the biggest thing in the news today? And they'll, they'll tell him and they go, hmm, I'm going to read about that. And then he'll, you know, look up an article, read, and then he moves on. Um, and it's, I noticed that I, I just feel better, you know, I'm, I just, I'm happier. Um, Absolutely. That's like uh, the Facebook arguers and, and all that, like getting caught up in that. It's so negative, you know. I just unfollow people. Like, I don't want to unfriend you. I don't dislike you, but I don't want to see the negativity that you're spreading across my feed right now. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, if you unfollow, they have no idea. And it's great. My news feed is so much better now. And, and then and, you didn't and, offend them, you know. And for, the, and for everyone who's listening to this, who's about to make some comment, I unfollow you, whether you are Republican, Democrat, straight, gay, white, black, or whatever, if you are a yeah. Nancy on my feed. Okay. Are you guys seeing that in the Marine Corps? Like how, how it's divided and, and, you know, my experience, my Marine Corps experience, especially when you're in the infantry, is you're not really mixed with other ages. It's 18 to 22. That's who you're with, essentially. And if there's a, there's, you have a 25 year old sergeant and that's it, that's my experience. So from your perspective, having been in a while and in today's climate, is it the same as you think as other workplaces or what you're like with this guy's a Democrat, this guy's a Republican and. Man. So for, I'm in a weird office right now because, you know, I've been, I've been in 11 and a half years and I'm one of the youngest permanent personnel there. We have some some TAD Marines that do six month shifts. But, uh, you know, I work in an office where it's like master guns, major, lieutenant colonel, captain, captain, major, lieutenant colonel, you know, whatever. And uh, so there's a very big age. I mean, we've got everything from, I think, like 52 or 53 is our oldest Marine down to like a couple, you know, 20 year olds. So it's a very much more diverse uh, age range. I think we still do a very good job of remaining objective. I mean, obviously there's 
you can tell by talking with people kind of what their beliefs are, but there's still a very good job of keeping politics out of things. And, uh, you know, I think that's great. I think it's incredible. I think one of the greatest things the military does is by, or is, is off putting that off limits because those discussions are often so unproductive and so negative and, and such a deterrent to a workspace. And so we're able to, I mean, I was in a discussion yesterday with a gentleman, he's a retired, he's a GS position, uh, civilian, and he was one of the guys, you know, hanging out around the, the water cooler, which is now my TV and very smart guy, very clearly has completely different belief systems than I do. But we were able to have a conversation about it where you can tell that we were having a conversation and we both did not agree with the other, but it was very professional and it was based on the discussion was hovering around how the media spins things and, and that side of things, but it didn't realm into beliefs or attacks or, or he said, she said, and, and. I think as long as you can keep it to that, you're still being at least somewhat productive. So uh, the military st still does a good job of keeping it professional in that realm, which I'm very glad for. Well, that's great. Yeah, that, my favorite response is, yeah, maybe. Uh, and, and I don't mean that in a like uh, dismissive way. If, if somebody tell, I've just been around long enough that I know that I've been wrong. You know, I've had complete beliefs that I was, you know, immersed in that I was like, there's no way that this is wrong. And then I'm like, what is, what is a dummy? <laughs> so I don't really commit to anything. I mean, there's certain things that I believe to be the right thing to do. There's certain things that, you know, obviously we all have our ethics and morals and those kind of things. But as far as uh, the opinion that somebody's giving me could sound outlandish, but that could be my opinion in five years. And then I'll go, I, why am I going to argue with you? And uh, that's why I don't, like I said, I don't believe in absolutes. If it's a subjective thing and go, yeah, maybe I, I don't, uh, where do we go when we die? <laughs> I don't, if you're not saying, I don't know at some point, we all have a theory, right? You lay out your theory and go, but, but I don't know. I've never died. Yep. I don't, I was, you know, I, I know what I believe and that's it. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to look at it. I always tell people like, if you're in a debate with someone, a heated debate, especially if you can't pause, and say, what is one part of their argument that I agree with? And you can't think of anything, then you need to just step away from the argument because you're not thinking rationally. Because no matter what debate we're having, there is something like, not to get into the political realm, but we'll use abortion, which everybody loves or hates, and I'm not going to speak on viewpoints, but whether you agree with it or disagree with it, there are things that about it that are pros and there are things about it that are cons. And if you can't find one thing about any argument, guns or whatever, that you agree with on the opposing opposing spectrum, then you're, it's not because there isn't anything. It's because you're emotionally invested rather than logically invested. And you're not going to be able to make any progress in this argument anyway. So you might as well just walk away. People hate that, but it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it is what it is. If that's like debate one-on-one, you have to be civil and you can't do that if you're emotionally involved. Yeah. Well, and plus you have to be hearing the other person, right? I mean, no. it, if you're, if you're not, it's, it's, um, you know, people seem to have these canned arguments where they're you you respond and then they have this canned argument that is closest related to what you just said, but it's not exactly related to what you just said. And you're like, wait, I didn't say that. I didn't. Um, I you know, it's I had a I was in a in a bar and I was with a friend of mine and we were trying to have a conversation and somehow we got into um, I don't know if you know Pittsburgh's like on the 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 tipping point, the tip of the spear with uh, autonomous vehicles. Hmm. So 
uh, Uber ATC is killing it here. I mean, they're, they're like, I shouldn't have said that, but, <laughs> uh, because there was a the person in there, but oh. they, they're, I mean, they're, but they're, they're doing great things. Argo is here. Auto has a presence here. And these are, you know, they're, they're, there's three right off the top of my head, autonomous vehicle companies right here in Pittsburgh. So, um, we got in this discussion and this guy is arguing against autonomous vehicles. Like he's like, nah, and we, we were saying, Hey, in 10 years, that's how it's going to be. I mean, your, your tractor trailers, right? That's the way it's going. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but it's going to, it's going to happen. And this was a guy that worked for a major car company who works in their on autonomous vehicles, who was kind of arguing against, uh, he was making these weird arguments. And then finally I was started to ask him, don't you work in the industry? Why would you work in an industry that you think is going to fail? Like you don't believe in it. You don't. And we came down to, he just likes to argue. He doesn't even believe what he was saying. And when I started dissecting and I'm like, yeah, but you're saying this. And what, why? And he goes, I said, you just like to argue. And he said, ah, I've been told that before. <laughs> so it was like, well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I don't, it's like, you're trying to get me frustrated and that's a hobby for you. I don't want to be around you. Like, I'm sure he's a good guy, right? Who knows yeah. why he does what he does. Um, but that's funny. But I'm, I'm always trying to be aware of that. Yeah, definitely a lot of that out there these days. People just stir in the pot. You got to try to watch out. All right. So uh, if an 18, 19-year-old was to come up to you asking you for advice uh, about trying to build a business or, or get started in sales or you know, one of those worlds that you have expertise in, what, what do you think you would tell them? I would say, um, uh, obviously, like take in all the information around you. You know, I mean, it's like take in, like listen, definitely listen to the people that, have been there, but don't take that as the only truth. Um, you know, we need to have respect for people that have been around. You have to calculate that. I kind of came up having this belief that the end all be all was with, with people who came before me. And then when I had ideas, uh, they were, those were the people that were the naysayers that this won't work. That won't work. This won't work. And I found that I was a smart person. I did know what I was talking about, uh, but you have to be very careful with that path. So I would say believe in yourself, have faith in yourself, but be humble about it. I like that. I think that's good because I think a lot of people almost give too much weight to advice they hear and they let it stop them. And I yeah. mean, where would, where would people like Elon Musk be if they listened to all the people who said, oh, maybe you should keep your feet on the floor? Absolutely. Yeah, just just accept that maybe you think different than other people do. Um, I struggled with that. And, um, you know, I, I wish I hadn't. I wish I embraced it more. Awesome. Uh, what is a uh, resource, a book, course, website, or whatever that you would recommend for anybody getting started in business? Uh, listen, listen and follow Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm. Uh, if anything, he's just telling you to do it. He's telling you, you have time, you have, uh, I got a ton of advice, uh, social, I wouldn't be doing anything in social media, uh, over the last three years, I've really hiked up my social media presence, all that kind of thing, which has helped me tremendously. And I, I don't, you know, uh, so, so he's the guy, uh, for me right now. I'm a huge fan. Uh, 
I just, he yeah. just doesn't sugarcoat stuff, which is as a Marine, you know, it's really refreshing to hear somebody tell me that I'm being a freaking moron. Right. Yeah. And, and he's, he has predictions. I mean, he has, if you watch him, maybe that's confirmation bias. Cause I follow him and he tells me that he had predictions, but, but uh, some of the things are undeniable. I know the latest thing he said is uh, LinkedIn is the next thing. Um, that kind of thing. So yeah. uh, him and uh, Tim Ferriss. Too. Yeah, I like Tim Ferriss a lot too. Uh, Four Hour Work Week's probably probably one of the most read books that I have on my Audible list. So, yeah, that's great. Sure. And yeah, it's uh, and it's it's. I, I was surprised that it wasn't exactly what uh, I thought. It's not like a, you know, it's it's just about being smart about how you do things instead of uh, it's not just like get rich quick kind of book that I thought it was. In fact, I need to, it reminds me that I need to, I've listened to it on Audible a million times. I need to buy the hard copy of that book. I put that one up behind me on my little wall of three or four books that I like because it's a good one. Um, all right. So before we wrap this up, where can people get a hold of you if they have uh, questions or they want to check out your product? Okay. So uh, the, the newest thing is, so naturalelevations.com is where the product is. And now, like I think I'd mentioned, right now, it's only the base that's up. Uh, we do have work surfaces, uh, and they'll, there'll be some work surfaces up this week. But awesome. uh, right now, now naturalelevations.com, if you just want to reach out, uh, our, our standard uh, informational pages, naturaloffice.net. Uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, Brian Marska, uh, Natural Office on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Brian Marska. Just reach out, message me, DM me, uh, whatever you want. Uh, for I'm always up to talk about anything too. So even if you just have uh, like ergonomic questions, how do I sit healthier and you're not trying to buy product, it, um, I'm, I'm happy to, um, to give any information that anybody wants. Awesome. Well, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate you uh, coming on the show and I'll make sure that I put all that stuff down in the show notes for all my listeners. So you can go check this out. Uh, there's a pretty decent chance you'll see me with one of these desks in the near future. So Brian, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to me. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks a lot for, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Have a great day. All right. You too, man. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarymillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.